and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. Today we're going to be talking about a few women from the beginning of Exodus. I am so excited to be back. I know we live in some crazy times right now, but 2021 is another year full of possibilities. Possibilities for growing as a person, for making memories, and for developing our relationships with God and each other. So I'm extra excited that you're taking a step towards that as you read or listen to these episodes. You're a rock star. So now let's get into the story. Like I said a second ago, we're going to be in the beginning of Exodus today. These few women were instrumental to the entire history of the Israelites and impacted one famous man in particular, Moses. We need a bit of backstory before we begin, though. Towards the end of Genesis, there was a guy named Jacob. His name was eventually changed to Israel, and yes, that is where the name Israelites comes from. He had a lot of sons, okay? One of his sons, Joseph, went through a rough time. Like a sold into slavery in Egypt by his own jealous brother's rough time. Joseph was a godly guy, though. Smart and hardworking. All of this led him eventually to becoming second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. Joseph goes on to save the land of Egypt from famine, forgive his brothers, and allow them all to start their own families in Egypt. And that's basically where Genesis leads off, when Joseph, after 110 years of life and becoming a great-great-grandpa, finally passes away. Now that you know all of this, let's read Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies. Fight against us and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Remeses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Tale as old as time, right? Humans have a tendency of forgetting the past, repeating old mistakes, and hurting people the same ways. This new king, the new pharaoh, didn't remember Joseph, the man who saved everyone from famine. 
He only knew what he saw at the moment, that Joseph's family had grown large into this almost nation. They were prosperous, and so they appeared threatening to him. The first attempts at genocide for Jews started before they were even known as Jews. History is often repeated because we don't learn from our mistakes or our ancestors' mistakes. Because of this simple truth, you can read the same mistakes made in the Bible over and over again. You can read your history books and watch people conquer and be conquered, fight wars, battle with internal revolutions, and fall to new dictators. You can look at your own life and witness yourself falling into the same mistakes you thought would stay in your past. The thing about humans is that we're so prideful, we're so passionate, that we think we're always right. Even in the midst of doing wrong, God refers to those of us in that position as having hardened hearts. And if you kept reading into Exodus, you would see that this Pharaoh had a very hardened heart, stubborn and unyielding to God's desires. But something miraculous happens when we choose to set aside fear and pride and trust God. We can change history. We can be the kinds of people who make a difference. The Israelites were made into slaves, and yet God allowed them to multiply and flourish in the middle of captivity and oppression. And this terrified the Egyptians. Out of fear grows defensiveness. Defensiveness brought about cruelty, cruelty to the point where Pharaoh demanded the midwives, Shephra and Pua, to kill all of the boys being born. He sought to end their lineage entirely. But like I said, the people who set aside fear and pride and instead trust in the Lord or fear in the Lord, as the midwives did, they make a difference. Shifra and Pua not only defied Pharaoh's commands, but they lied to his face. They chose other people's lives over theirs, and God blessed them with families of their own for it. Unfortunately, this chapter doesn't end in triumph. Pharaoh is clearly over subtlety. He commands his people to throw every Israelite boy born into the Nile. Awful. Let's read Exodus 2, 1 through 3, to see one woman's response to that command. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Moses' mother was named Jochebed. Jochebed was a mother during a terrible time to be a mother. There weren't ultrasounds back then. No one knew if they were carrying a daughter or a soon-to-be-drowned son. Imagine going through all of the pain of a non-medicated ancient childbirth. The child is born, and your only prayer isn't, please be healthy, but please don't be a boy. The midwives didn't kill him, and Jochebed wasn't about to let her baby be taken from her. I don't know how she managed to hide an infant for three months, but she did. The next part, I really don't understand how she did it. She was faced with what felt like an impossible situation. She could hold tight to her baby boy and risk being caught, and she probably would be. That'd be a really hard thing to avoid, um, and him get thrown in the Nile. Or she could place him there herself, in as protected of a way as possible. Have you ever felt desperate? Like really desperate? Which direction do you turn when all of the walls are closing in around you? 
Some people run straight into the wall thinking they can stop it on their own. Spoiler alert, we're not that strong. Some people shut down and just wait for bad things to come. They let it happen, let the walls squish them. Some people trust their smarts and look for other ways to escape. But honestly, there isn't always a humanly possible way out. Jacobet took a different approach. She was cunning enough, yes, but she trusted God. She made a protective basket, but she pushed that basket away from the shore. Man, I have a way of clinging to my own problems. As if I could deal with them on my own, right? Actually, come to think of it, I've clung to a lot of things. To relationships I shouldn't have clung to for as long as I did. To shame that sometimes feels so sticky. To stress that I've put on myself. God's kind of like rain or a river in this way. He pours over us, strips us of all those things that hurt us, rinses away the shame, carries away our sins, and leaves us like new creatures. He can do the same thing with the other stuff as well, but boy, it can feel like turmoil when you stand in the middle of a river being pulled by the current instead of letting your own basket go. If you feel like you can't breathe, it might just be because you're holding on to something that's pulling you underwater. Let go. Trust God to take care of the basket. Now, let's see where this basket goes in Exodus 2, 4 through 10. Now his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. God put the basket exactly where he wanted it. If you don't already know the rest of the story of Exodus, you should check it out. But trust me on this, Moses was exactly where he was meant to be. God had a plan for him and his people. And because of the midwives, Jochebed, Moses' sister, her name's Miriam, by the way, and Pharaoh's daughter were all women of quality, God's plan was acted out. I want to talk about Miriam, Moses' sister, for a minute. She wasn't content with just sitting back and hoping for the best. I mean, she stayed back, but she watched to see what would happen. And then she stepped in with an idea that proved she was just as cunning as her mother. She knew to leave out her relation to the child, just like her mother likely knew that part of the mile was frequented by the princess. Because of Miriam, her brother was nursed by his own mother and raised in the home he was born in until he was old enough to go to Pharaoh's daughter. The mother was even paid to nurse her own son. What a win! I'm eventually going to do an entire episode about Miriam. Actually, I think I'm going to do it for the next episode because she comes up again later on. But for now, I just want to see what we can learn from her as a girl. I'm going to assume we're never going to be given the opportunity to watch a child float down a river or approach a princess about anything. So what can we take away from her actions? Well, let's talk about her watchfulness. She kept her eye out for an opportunity to step in and do something good. 1 Corinthians 16, 13-14 tells us to be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, 
be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Okay, now break that verse down and there's our application principles, okay? Number one, be on your guard. Other translations literally say, be watchful. We know what Miriam had to be watchful about in her case, but what do we have to be watchful about? Well, to me, there are two opposite things to be watchful for, things that help and things that hinder. Miriam, I'm sure, was watchful for both, you know, crocodiles and all, but the opportunity arose for her to act on something that would help. We can do the same in our lives. Here's some examples I came up with for both. So, number one, keep watchful for these opportunities to help. Someone being left out of a group, a person getting sick, hurt, or developing an illness, homelessness and poverty, a friend overwhelmed with responsibilities, struggling new parents or siblings that suddenly find themselves taking care of their family, a lonely neighbor, a friend or a family member suddenly acting unlike themselves, natural disasters or wildfires, literally all of those, they're opportunities to step in and make a difference like Moses' sister. You also need to keep a watchful eye on things that hinder, and that doesn't just involve awareness of the world around you, but awareness of yourself. So yes, look out for people that are hurting others. Look out for society telling you sins are to be celebrated. And look out for the enemy placing doubts or lies in your mind. But you also need to be on your guard about the words that come off your tongue and your keyboard. You need to be on your guard when you lead by example. There are always people watching you in your actions. Don't, don't think that you have to be perfect or have everything figured out all the time. But you might not even realize that someone's treating you like a role model. So ask yourself, would you be proud to know that a 15-year-old girl is trying to replicate your behavior? Obviously, there are some things that are more age-appropriate to do as a 25-year-old than a 15-year-old. But you get the point, right? Just be aware of what you allow to go into yourself and what you give out to others because what you do and say matters and makes a difference in the lives of those around you. Number two, stand firm in the faith. This is something that all the Hebrew women demonstrated. Even in the midst of adversity, they chose to stand firm. The chaos around them didn't stop Moses' mother from trusting God and placing her baby in the river. That's something that we can apply in our lives. Think of it like what you're planting yourself in. Like, are you placing your feet in sand so that when a breeze picks up, your foundation can just be blown away? Or are you pouring cement down there? Because we all know that wind blows. Trouble is to be expected in this life. So you have to think about how you treat faith. Is it something that you only lean on when things are good or when things are bad? Or do you hold firm to it during all of your highs and lows? Number three. Be courageous. This one's obvious, right? In the story, the midwives courageously defied Pharaoh. The mother courageously hid her infant for three months before sending him off in a basket, and his sister courageously approached a princess. But how can we be courageous? Where does our courage even come from? Well, our courage comes from God and the confidence that he gives us. Our courage comes from knowing that even in the middle of our battles, God's already won the war. We can be fearless in the face of death itself. And if we can be fearless with that, we can be absolutely fearless with sharing our faith, with accepting love, fearless with life. Number four, be strong. I mean, come on guys, Aitzer, 
right? What is a woman if not strong? We handle pain every month like some kind of warrior. Don't even get me started on childbirth, right? We raise families and lead organizations like queens. God made us that way. He made us to be strong. Not so that we have power, but so that we can give power to the powerless. That's what Aetzer is, remember? It isn't just about strength. It's about being strong for others, helping others. Look at these women from today's story. The midwives saved babies' lives. They were strong for those families. Jochebed was strong as a mother. Miriam was strong as a sister and as a daughter. God didn't create us to be fragile. He didn't create us to not use our strength that he gave us either. Our strength stems from point number five, though. Number five, do everything in love. God loves us so much. And because of that love, we get to love others. And that, my sisters in Christ, is where our strength and courage and drive stems from. When you're loved unconditionally, when you are forgiven regardless of your mistakes and how often they reoccur, you start to learn mercy. You start to grasp how much you are loved. And forgiven people forgive others. Loved people love others. Sometimes love is putting yourself at risk to save others, like the midwives. Sometimes love is letting something or someone go, like Jochebed let Moses go in the basket. Sometimes love is keeping a watchful eye so that you can step in when you need to, like Miriam. And sometimes love is seeing a crying child and having compassion, like Pharaoh's daughter did when she found Moses in the reeds of the Nile. That brings us to our last woman of Exodus for today. You didn't think I'd leave out Pharaoh's daughter, did you? She might not have been an Israelite, but her actions were just as important to God's plans. She felt sorry for the child, and she later adopted Moses as her own son. I don't know if you ever felt like an outsider. The older I get, the more convinced I am that almost everyone has felt like an outsider at least once in their life. But if God can use an outsider to the nation he was bringing up to raise one of the most influential men of the Bible, he can use you. Because you see, God doesn't use labels the same way we do. God doesn't classify or organize people in the same categories we do. To God, the only way to be an outsider is to keep yourself outside. The thing about having a loving God is that he wants you inside, in the family, He's the father, the one that will always welcome you home. But that's a prodigal story for another time. The real point is this. Even if you consider yourself of little to no value, God calls you priceless. And don't go looking for a verse where he says that, because he calls us a lot of things. He calls us his masterpiece in Ephesians 2.10. Um, we are known as the work of his hands in Psalm 138.8. We're made in his image, Genesis 1, 27. But that's not exactly where I get our value or worth because I feel like as humans, I mean, we're humans. We'd put a price tag on most anything, even something made by God. And we do that already. Everything around us is made by his hands. But the pricelessness comes from God's actions. He sent his one and only son to die, but not just to die, to live. And not just for Jesus to have died and to have lived and show off his power, but so that we could all be on the inside, living ourselves fully and being in his presence. Don't forget to embrace the gifts God has given you. 
Be thankful for them and use them like 1 Peter 4.10 tells us to do. Be watchful for opportunities that you can help others and watchful for stumbling blocks as well. Be confident and courageous and strong. Be eightser. And when you mess up, and you're going to mess up, and sometimes you're not going to be any of those things, be forgiving. Because you're forgiven. And then try again. Because if there was ever the mark of courage or strength, it's the ability to fail miserably, let God help you back up on your feet, and pick back up the fight. You are so capable of it with the King of Kings at your side. That's everything that I have for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to help a girl out with her ministry, make sure you go rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give a follow on the Grace Talks Podcast Instagram or Twitter account, or better yet, share the link to your favorite episode with some of your friends. Next week, we're going to be talking more about Miriam uh, in her adult life. So I really hope to see you then. If you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I'd be happy to answer it as best as I can. And if you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth. And you have a purpose. I'm signing off. Bye. Bye.